If you want to turn in your Bibles to Mark 1, Mark 1, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 35 to 39 this morning. Mark 1, 35 to 39 this morning. Um, before we jump into it, let me just say this real quick. I have a, an extra copy of a book that I want to give away to someone, uh, whoever asks for it after the service. It's a book called Every Moment Holy. Uh, we're going to be looking at um, the priority of private prayer this morning in verses 35 to 39 of Mark chapter 1. And uh, this book, Every Moment Holy, put out by The Rabbit Room. I don't know if you're, inter- if you're um, familiar with Andrew Peterson, but he's involved with an organization called The Rabbit Room. And uh, they put out this book called Every Moment Holy, which has different liturgies for uh, many different kinds of activities. Uh, there are liturgies for morning, uh, afternoon, evening prayer. There are liturgies in here for uh, before you change a diaper. Uh, there's actually two liturgies before, before you change a diaper, so uh, that is a moment that we need to bathe with prayer sometimes, um, as I'm sure many of you can uh, attest to. There's a liturgy in here for before you make a purchase. There's a liturgy for beekeeping. There's just all sorts of liturgies in here uh, that enable you and equip you and, and uh, help you uh, treat every moment as holy. I think it was uh, uh, G.K. Chesterton who said something along the lines of, you know, you, you say grace before a meal very well. I say pr- grace before I go to the opera or a show or, or all these various other things. We're, we're to treat every moment as sacred because we carry with us the presence of God everywhere we go. And uh, that transitions nicely into uh, this subject of prioritizing private prayer. We see Jesus do in Mark 1, 35 to 39. If you want to stand with me for the reading of God's holy and precious word, let's listen with reverence and with joy. This is the word of our God. Mark writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns, and I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, would you anoint this time with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit so that we would hear the voice of Jesus so that our hearts would be softened to receive his word, our ears would be opened to hear him, our eyes would be opened to see him, that we might trust him and treasure him and love him and obey him and follow him and mimic him, so that by any means possible, we might be with him forever and ever at the end of the age when he returns. We pray that this time would equip us and furnish us with what is needed to devote ourselves to praying and spending time with you alone in prayer. 
Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Well, the word template is an interesting word. Um, I looked up the etymology of the word this last week, and it's actually a fairly new word um, in, a, in a way, uh, at least that we use it today. Uh, its first recorded usage was in 1819, so just about 200 years ago. And of course, a, a template, as you know, is, is a, a kind of pattern or a gauge for shaping a piece of work. It's a, um, a kind of form or a pattern, a, a kind of mold, which you use to help guide you in making something exactly like it. So if you're drawing something and you, you want to make uh, you, you want to use a, 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 a particular drawing, you want to draw something exactly like it, you might use the particular drawing that you want to draw and uh, use it as a, a template to kind of trace your own drawing. Or if you're making a budget and you're a nerd, you might use um, an Excel spreadsheet, right? Uh, some of you nerds like Excel spreadsheets and all that. Uh, and so you might use an Excel spreadsheet and, uh, that already has a budget filled in as your template to help you make your own budget. You, you know template in this way. And what I found interesting is, is uh, the development of the word. You can trace it back to a couple of different words throughout history. And one of them is the Latin word templum, which means temple. Uh, it's very interesting. It's a holy and consecrated place, a place in which you know, humanity meets with deity and heaven and earth overlap. And as I read about that, all sorts of ideas were going through my mind as I thought about the temple in Scripture and how it's said to be a copy of heavenly realities and how it points us back to, to Eden and forward to the new Jerusalem. And so the temple in Scripture could be said to be a template in a way. And I found all sorts of, of these things uh, just very interesting as it points to realities beyond itself as a kind of template. I found all this very interesting. But I share all that just to say that I was thinking of this word template as it relates to, to Christ and the Christian and, and Mark and what Mark is doing here in our text. Mark wrote this book as a resource for Christian discipleship in the church in Rome and in order to, to show Christians how they might follow Christ and be like Christ. And that's part of what he's doing here in our text this morning. He's trying to show Christians, he's trying to show us how to be like Christ. He's offering Christ as a kind of template after which we would shape and build and fashion our own lives, particularly in the realm of private prayer. And so the big idea that I want to look at this morning is that Jesus is an example in prioritizing private prayer. Jesus is an example in prioritizing private prayer. And we have a single point this morning and that is just the priority of private prayer. And with that, I want to talk about some of the difficulties with private prayer and, and offer some direction uh, for private prayer. So look again at verse 35 with me. Mark writes, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Uh, so you might remember our text from last week. We're on the heels in Mark's gospel, on, a very, on the heels of a very busy day. The previous day was Saturday, which was the Sabbath, and it was a full day, if you remember uh, what, what Jesus was doing. Jesus started the day by going to the synagogue, and he was preaching from the scriptures, which eventually led him to being confronted by a demonized man sitting in the pews. And, and after that, he went back to Simon's house, which um, may have been his kind of base of operations there in Capernaum. 
And even there, he gets to work. He heals Simon's mother-in-law, who was ill and uh, had a fever. And then at sundown, uh, when the Sabbath officially came to a close, the crowds start showing up at Simon's house. And they, they are bringing their, their sick and their demon-oppressed loved ones. And, and Jesus stays up late into the night, healing and delivering and serving the people who had come to him for help. And after such a long and arduous day, you would expect Jesus to maybe get some sleep, to maybe, you know, get some much-needed shut-eye to sleep in the next day, but instead, he gets maybe, well, I, I don't know, maybe three hours of sleep. Uh, he wakes up in the morning before sunrise, it's still dark out, and he prays. And it's interesting that, that each time in Mark's gospel that, that Mark mentions the prayer life of Jesus, it's dark out. It's Mark 1.35, Mark 6.41, or 6.46 rather, uh, Mark 14.32-39. Jesus is in prayer when it's dark out and everyone else is asleep. And here, it's, it's, you know, it's not like he just woke up like five minutes before uh, sunrise to pray. This word translated as prayed here, this verb is, is in the imperfect tense, which means that this was a kind of prolonged prayer. We might translate it as he was continuing to pray, or he was, he was carrying on in prayer. And uh, this is significant because mourning is often depicted in Scripture as a significant time for encountering the presence of God and experiencing communion with God. Morning sacrifices are often mentioned in Scripture. Uh, the, the morning prayer is often portrayed. We just heard this in, in Psalm 5 there at the beginning of the service. And, and there's multiple reasons for that, but, but one reason for experiencing communion with God early in the morning is that the quiet stillness of the morning just gives opportune time for solitude, for being alone with God. You know, at 5.30, at 6 a.m., you don't have neighbors knocking at your door. You don't have uh, texts buzzing on your phone. You don't have children clawing at your leg for snacks. Uh, instead, you know, they're sleeping. And so, and so it's, it's a perfect and opportune time to spend time alone with God in prayer. For this reason, if chances are, if you know someone, if you know a man or a woman who has a rich life of prayer and an ad admirable prayer life, chances are that they get up early in the morning to pray before others are up, before the kids are up, before breakfast needs made, before they need to get off to work or whatever. They spend time alone with God in prayer like Jesus here. And, and that's another point that Mark is, is kind of emphasizing for us here, is that Jesus' time in prayer is in solitude. This is prayer in solitude. Some of your translations might say that he went to a desolate place like the ESV here. Some might say that he went to a lonely place. Some might say that he went to a solitary place. So this is not communal prayer. This is, uh, as, as important as that, that is, this is not communal prayer. This is private prayer. This is time alone with the Father. Jesus woke up early and went to this specific place in order to pray because he knew that at this time, and at this place, he could be alone with God. And with that, Christians throughout history have, have looked at Jesus' example here and commended the, the, the practice of solitude, the spiritual discipline of, of solitude, being alone with God, the spiritual discipline of solitude. And some of you might not be familiar with the spiritual discipline of solitude, but it's an important spiritual discipline that enables and helps us to practice other spiritual disciplines like Bible reading and prayer without 
noise and distraction and, and disruption. Uh, Donald Whitney, in his great book on spiritual disciplines, says that solitude is the spiritual discipline of voluntarily and temporarily withdrawing to privacy for spiritual purposes. This period of solitude may last only a few minutes or for days. Solitude may be sought in order to participate without interruption in other spiritual disciplines or just to be alone with God and think. And you can see here, this is what Jesus is doing. He's retreating into privacy in order to spend time alone with God in prayer. He's engaging in private prayer here. And this is a much-needed practice for us today. If ever anyone lived in a time and place which emphasized and magnified external things and image upkeep and incessant connection with the outside world, it's our time and place. And, and, and yet, you know, of course, we might notice, what's it all leading to? It's leading to a generation of people who are shallow and exhausted. It's a generation of people that are shallow and exhausted. And yet the disciplines of solitude and private prayer can offer us, in the midst of this, a much-needed reprieve and rest and reset. And, and what's more is that they contribute into making us people who are deep instead of shallow, and people who are well-rested instead of exhausted. And yet, you know, my hunch is, is that the majority of us are not faithfully and regularly engaging in this much-needed spiritual discipline. Uh, J.C. Ryle wrote a great essay on prayer. He once said that there's no duty so neglected as private prayer. And he wrote that in the 1800s. We might ask, how much more now? How much more now in this social media age when so much of our lives revolves around external things and image upkeep and constant connection? Rao goes on to say this. He writes, we live in days of abounding religious profession. There are more places of public worship now than there ever were before. There are more persons attending them than there ever were before. And yet in spite of all of this public religion, I believe there's a vast neglect of private prayer. It is one of those private transactions between God and the soul which no eye sees and therefore one which men are tempted to pass over and leave undone. I believe that thousands never utter a word of prayer at all. They eat, they drink, they sleep, they rise, they go forth to their labor, they return to their homes, they breathe God's air, they see God's sun, they walk on God's earth, they enjoy God's mercies, they have dying bodies, they have judgment and eternity before them, but they never speak a word to God. They have not a word to say to him in whose hand are their life and breath and all things and from whose mouth they must one day receive their everlasting sentence. How dreadful this seems. But if the secrets of men were only known, how common, how common. My friends, my, my, I ask, do these words describe you? Do they describe you? Do you neglect the privilege and priority of private prayer? Is, is private prayer not a priority for you? I would encourage you, I would exhort you to make it a priority, to not neglect private prayer, but to be like Jesus and to practice it and even to do so every day. Uh, and you might say then, well, you know, obviously it was different for Jesus. I mean, first of all, he's God in the flesh. But then even more, he, 
he didn't have all of the demands and the pressures of the 21st century, did he? You know, he, he didn't have my particular vocation. Uh, he didn't have the demands of, of toddlers. In other words, he, he was not as busy as me, right? He was not as busy. And that can be a great difficulty. Busyness can be a great difficulty or hurdle to private prayer. Busyness, you know, my hunch is that for many of us who neglect regular private prayer, busyness might be a, a fairly common excuse. And, you know, many of us are genuinely busy. Many of us are genuinely busy. And uh, that, that's okay in moderation to be busy. Uh, anyone who genuinely cares about the, 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 the needs of others and anyone who genuinely loves their neighbors is in, and is concerned about doing their jobs well or keeping up their home or raising their children rightly or whatever, you're going to be busy sometimes. And that's okay in some measure. It's good to work hard. It's good to, you know, we're called to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. We're called to cultivate the world and, and, and build culture and have children and contribute to society and serve the church and help the needy. E even, you know, in the construction of the, the, the biblical week, have you ever thought about how, how much of a, how, how disproportionate it is that the time that we, we spend is, is devoted to work? Six days. We're called to labor and to do our work, and then we're to take one day for rest and worship and devote that day to worship. And even on that day of rest, Jesus shows us, just last week on, on, the, on the Sabbath, we saw Jesus show us that part of that rest includes serving his people and serving those in need. That's part of this, the, it, the, the, the biblical week is, is disproportionately devoted to work, and, and with that, Part of what I want you to see here is that Jesus was busy. Jesus was busy, even on the Sabbath. What was Jesus doing from morning till late at night? He was teaching and healing and serving and delivering, building for the kingdom of God. And with that, he even had the expectations of the disciples and the crowds pressing in on him, even here on Sunday in the morning. Uh, you, you can't as readily see it in the English translations, but there's language here. It's a bit stronger than the, the translations would have you believe. So verse 36 says that Simon searched for Jesus. Um, but, but that word translated as search is a lot more aggressive than that. That, that word search is kind of anemic uh, comparatively. This word communicates a kind of urgent pursuit. There's urgency in this, almost like saying uh, Simon was hunting for Jesus. Peter was hunting for Jesus. He was urgently pursuing him and urgently searching for him. And then verse 37, you know, it merely says uh, that everyone, you know, they said everyone is looking for you, but the NIV uh, might capture the tone of the passage a bit better here when it says that they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. That better kind of captures the tone of the passage. And sometimes you'll, you'll see this, this text uh, as an encouragement uh, to people to, to seek Jesus like Simon and the crowds were seeking for Jesus here. But that's not the kind of seeking that we're called to. Uh, one commentator, James Edwards, uh, says that the kind of, this kind of seeking here is the kind that attempts to determine and control Jesus, not submit to and follow him. You see, they were trying to control Jesus and pressure Jesus with their expectations and demands. Uh, maybe they weren't the expectations of 
of toddlers or bosses or co-workers, but Jesus still had the expectations of the crowds and his disciples pressing in on him. They were pressuring him to come back to Capernaum and to continue with the busyness of the previous day, healing and delivering and serving and meeting people's needs. And of course, he didn't capitulate to the crowds, uh, but he did continue on doing much the same throughout all Galilee here. We see that he continued on with similar work in his itinerant ministry. And even in the midst of all of that pressure and in the midst of this busyness, Jesus prioritized private prayer. And if Jesus prioritized private prayer, even in the midst of a, of a hectic schedule, we ought to prioritize private prayer even when busy. Uh, Martin Luther uh, was a good example of this. He once said, I have so much to do tomorrow that I'm going to spend the first three hours in prayer. You know, so often, prayer is one of those things that we drop first when we're busy. Uh, but Luther shows us, shouldn't it be the opposite? Shouldn't the opposite be true? When, shouldn't we devote ourselves even more ardently to prayer when we're particularly busy? Doesn't prayer become all the more necessary when we're particularly busy? Uh, Paul Miller hits the nail on the head in his great book, A Praying Life, when he says this. He says, if we love people and have the power to help, then we're going to be busy. Learning to pray, then, doesn't offer us a less busy life. It offers us a less busy heart. In the midst of outer busyness, we can develop an inner quiet because we are less hectic on the inside, we have a greater capacity to love and thus to be busy, which in turn drives us even more into a life of prayer. And thus, although busyness is often an excuse for neglecting private prayer, it actually gives us all the more cause to prioritize it. But then for many of us, I wonder if we might safely assume that even if we say busyness is a hurdle to private prayer, we're actually less busy than we think we are, aren't we? I, I mean, I think one indicator of this could, could be that little tool on your phone that tracks your screen time. So like just go into your settings and find that, and, and that will give you a good idea of whether or not you're actually busy by telling you how much time every single day you devote to looking at this little device in your pocket. And so for some of us, that's going to be a clear testimony that a lack of private prayer in our lives is not due to a lack of time, but a lack of priority. In other words, a, another difficulty and hurdle to face when prioritizing private prayer is social media, technology, smartphone, whatnot. Jesus, of course, would take time in the morning or the evening to pray whenever everyone else was asleep because that is when he would have time alone. And for many of us, however, instead of taking morning or evening to pray, we take it as a time to, to check social media or, or do whatever else on those little blue screens that we hold in our pockets that so insist on, on controlling our lives. It very well may not be Peter or his disciples, but a different kind of follower who's determining what you do with your mornings. It may not be the crowds of Capernaum. It may be the, the crowds of Silicon Valley who are controlling what you do with your mornings and with your evenings and your time alone. You might think, well, why is he pressing in on this issue so much? Why is he, what's wrong with looking at social media in the morning or in the evening or when I'm alone? Why are you applying the text to this particular issue? 
Well, I want to narrow in on this particular issue because of how pervasive social media is in our lives. You know, modern discipleship demands that we address social media and technology at some level. And I want to apply to this particular issue because sometimes we can allow our preoccupation with technology and social media, YouTube, Insta, and Twitter, and and all that stuff. Uh, And I don't know what else the kids are using these days, but there's other stuff now too, I guess. And, And we can allow these things to crowd out spiritual disciplines and attending to the things of God. Uh, Andrew, uh, Andy Crouch once cited that Justin Martyr in the early second century uh, identified four major challenges to discipleship. It says sexual immorality, wealth, magic, and ethnic hatred or, or racism. And Crouch then said, swap technology for magic and little has changed in almost 2,000 years. And he's exactly right. And we need to address it. We need to think carefully about the ways in which we're using technology and social media and what kind of formative power we're allowing these things to have over us as Christ's disciples. And not many people have, have considered the formative power of social media as well as an MIT professor by the name of Sherry Turkle. In 2011, she released a, a wonderful book called Alone Together based on a study that she conducted uh, in, of the lives of people from multiple different uh, ages and settings, and she found that, that largely the use of technology and social media in the lives of young people was forming them to become people who view their lives in terms of performance for the consumption of others. She writes this, she says that more and more people are becoming externally manufactured rather than internally developed. On Twitter or Facebook, you're trying to express something real about who you are but because you're also creating something for others' consumption, you find yourself imagining and playing to your audience more and more so that those moments in which you're supposed to be showing your true self become a performance. Your psychology, she says, becomes performance. Your psychology becomes performance. Instead of being internally developed, instead of being a soulful person or a present person, you become externally manufactured. You know, instead of, of going on a hike in beautiful mountain scenery or forest and, 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 and enjoying the beauty of God's creation, being overwhelmed by the glory of your creator, you're posing and doing weird things, taking pictures of yourselves and posting it on social media in order to be an influencer or whatever. Instead of enjoying the presence and listening to an image bearer right in front of you, you, you're checking this screen. You can't take your eyes off of a screen. Instead of resting in who you are as a son or daughter of God, you're, you're feeling pressured to, to keep up image on social media and stay plugged in whenever you have opportunity. Instead of giving your mornings or your evenings to prayer and communion with God, you scroll through social media as you lay in your bed and check how many likes you got on yesterday's post. It's, it's causing us to be externally manufactured and rather, rather than internally developed to a point where our psychology becomes performance. And here, what we find in Jesus is an example of a way to fight back against those tendencies and those pressures and find a path to freedom from this life of performance and the practice of private prayer. 
Again, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus, uh, Mark speaks of Jesus' prayer life three times in Mark's gospel. Mark 1, Mark 6, Mark 14. And all three of these times come when Jesus is, is in the midst of a frenzy of activity and, and, and pressure and opposition. And, and, and what's he showing us in this? He's showing us that when the world is pressing in and trying to distract Jesus from his identity and purpose, Jesus went alone to the Father in prayer because it's in God alone where we find our true identity and true purpose until so we found rest there and reprieve there and he, find, he found assurance there. Friend, going to the Lord in prayer in the mornings as a regular rhythm and practice is a way in which God works in our lives to ground us in our identity and purpose and the identity and purpose that he gives us. It reminds us that we're children of God when we spend time with our Father. It sets our focus and thoughts and heart on Him for the day. It's an essential practice if we're to be internally developed disciples of Jesus who are confident in our identity in Christ and who devote ourselves to His mission and His purpose for our lives. Addiction to social media will rob you of that. It will rob you of that. Technology, addiction to technology will rob you of that. In the morning or in the evening, put down the phone. Put it down. Pray. Read the scriptures. Be rooted and grounded in your God. We could go on to name many other difficulties or hurdles to private prayer. There's struggle with with focusing. There's pride and self-reliance and self-dependency and far more. We could go on and on. But we need to move on. I not only want to name some of the difficulties with private prayer uh, that we might have, but I also want to give some direction for private prayer. And here I want to share some, just some practical direction for how to practice private prayer. Uh, first is, is make private prayer a priority. Make it a priority. Now, honestly, we could list a hundred reasons that, that private prayer is difficult or that we don't practice it in our lives. And what it would all come down to is this, is it's not a priority. It's not a priority, except we don't want to say that. But the reality is, if we don't practice it, it's because it's not a priority. Because you, you always make time for the things that you think important, for the things that you prioritize. You always, if something is important, if you think it important, you will make time for it. If you don't think something is important, then you won't. It's that simple. Uh, as Jacques Felipe said, uh, he said, time is not always the real problem. The real problem is knowing what truly matters in life. No one has yet starved to death because they didn't have time to eat. Make prayer a priority. Second is make private prayer a habit. Make it a habit. Uh, I, I know that we might not like to think of prayer as a habit. We might like to think of it in a little more romantic terms uh, than that, like we should pray because we're so desirous of God. We still want to spend time with him every single day that we're driven to to our knees because of our overflow of our love for God. And and, and of course, we want that to be the case. That is great. That is wonderful. But one thing I've learned in the Christian life is that it's just not always there. You won't always desire to pray when the time comes. And sometimes, therefore, you have to rely on your habitual rhythms and practices that you've set up in life. For me, habits like prayer, uh, habits like going to church, or even, you know, lesser things like habits like working out. I don't even think about it anymore. 
I just do it because that's what I do. Uh, ordinarily, like, I don't even have to ask the question of whether or not I'll pray in the morning because it's just something I do in the morning. I don't even have to think about whether or not I'll just roll out of bed because it's a habit and I'll go downstairs and do it. Why? Because uh, Stanley Hauerwas once said, some things in life are just too important to leave it up to chance in the moment, right? Some things in life are too important to just leave it up to if you're feeling that way in the moment. Uh, this is why I always kiss my wife and my children before I leave for work in the morning. Some things are just too important in life to leave up to chance. This is why we brush our teeth every single day. It's just a habit. Like some things in life are too important to leave it up to chance. You won't always feel like brushing your teeth, but if it's a habit, you just do it. Likewise, prayer, we ought to make it a habit. It's too important to leave it up to chance. Make it a habit. Third, pray before you look at your phone in the morning. Pray before you look, before you turn that thing, before you look at your phone. Pray. Look at the scriptures. Don't, don't check social media. Don't even turn it on. Don't check email. Don't, don't check your text app. Don't check the weather. Don't check the, the score of the, the game last night or whatever. Don't even, don't look at your phone. Pray. Open the scriptures. Prioritize prayer over technology, over social media. Why? Chances are that whatever you're looking at on your phone in the morning will suck you in. It will suck you in and it will draw your attention so that you won't even have time for God in prayer. Before you know it, your, your, your time for prayer is gone. Or even more, if, if you're a disciplined person and you do check your phone in the morning and you can put it down in a few moments later and go uh, to prayer, I would encourage you to still not do it. Because even still, you're using those moments that you could be praying to look at technology and social media. So I don't know about you, I have limited time in the morning. I have limited time. In, in a few uh, you know, hours when I wake up, my daughter has to be at school. I have to be at work. We have things that we have to do. And so if I look at my phone in the morning when I could be praying, I'm using that time to do something less important. And therefore, I, I don't even look at my phone when I wake up first thing in the morning. And not only that, but consider this. The first thing that you do in the morning is likely going to set the tone for your whole day. If you look at social media, first thing, you're probably more likely to be inclined to think about that throughout the day and be more likely to, to check it throughout the day. But if you pray and you spend time with the Lord and look at the scriptures, you'll be more likely and inclined to think about God throughout the day and to pray throughout the day. Prayer before phone, always. Fourth, keep going through the ordinary and mundane. Keep going through the ordinary and mundane. You know, one of the realities we should probably confess about prayer is that it often is ordinary and uneventful, and it may sound bad to say that, but not every occasion of prayer, in fact, most occasions in prayer are not going to have rapturous spiritual experiences. You know, those times may come, and they're sweet and encouraging, but they're not the norm, and they seldom come to those who don't push through the ordinary and mundane. And so we, we ought to, 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 to devote ourselves to prayer and even push through the ordinary and mundane, uh, e even in the midst of the, the ordinariness. And, and, and uh, Zach Eswine makes this point very well in his, 
in his uh, wonderful book, Imperfect Pastor, he once wrote that almost anything in life that truly matters will require you to do small, mostly overlooked things over a long period of time. That's probably going to fit the description for private prayer for you. It's uh, 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 an almost anything that truly matters. And if anything matters in life, it's prayer. It will require you to do small, mostly overlooked things over a long period of time, day in, day out, pushing through the, the mundane and the ordinary. Fifth is use helps. Use helps. You know, part of the issue that we can have with prayer is that we always feel like you know, it's got to be, we have to make it up as we go. And that prayer all the time needs to be uh, just filled with spontaneous expressions of the deepest longings of our souls. Uh, you know, like, uh, just like a passionate kiss with your lover or something like that. But in all reality, prayer sometimes is, is going to not come so easily. We need help and guidance. And there's a lot of resources out there that can be of good help to us. Uh, you might look at the Lord's Prayer or the the prayers of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Uh, and, and you might read those and pray those uh, and pray spontaneously based on the structures that you find in those prayers. Uh, you might do the same with the Psalms. The Psalms is the prayer book of the Scriptures. Use the Psalms. Pray them. Pray based on what they say and, and, and use the Psalms in that way. Uh, there are many extra-biblical resources. You know, Veritas, we've provided for you the, the consecrated prayer booklets for this very reason, so that you can use those prayer booklets to give shape and structure and content to your prayers. Uh, many Christians will use the, the Book of Common Prayer, which is the prayer book for the Anglican Church. And that's a, I, I use that on regular occasion. Uh, and they have a morning, uh, in, an order for morning and evening prayer in the Book of Common Prayer, which is, is biblical and beautiful in poetry. So I encourage you to use that. Uh, there are other good resources. Uh, Kenneth Boa's book, Face to Face, which has scripture prompts for, for an order for prayer, or, or even, as I mentioned earlier, Every Moment Holy. These are wonderful resources for us to use in prayer, and they can be uh, of great help to us. If you're not like a type A, spontaneous person who can just make things up on the fly or, or, or just express yourself so freely on the fly, sometimes you might be tired, you might struggle with knowing what to say, sometimes you just need help, and that's okay. Use these kinds of helps uh, to assist you in prayer. Sixth, pray out loud or write your prayers down. Okay, Pray out loud or write your prayers down. Uh, even when you do pray spontaneously, pray out loud or write your prayers down. I found that I struggle a lot more in focusing in prayer if I just silently, you know, kind of think my prayers in my mind. This morning, I did not sleep well last night, and I was just having trouble uh, focusing this morning and, and not being distracted by things. And so I, I, I needed to pray out loud in order to, to keep track of what I'm doing. And, and, and that helps me not grow as distracted or lose my place when I'm praying uh, and, and, and lose my place when I'm uh, not sure what I'm saying or whatever. You might write your prayers down. Consider the Psalms are prayers that are written down. Uh, the psalmists, David, sons of Korah, and others wrote their prayers down. That might be a good practice for you. Pray out loud or write your prayers down. And really, I do hope that these, these kind of uh, practical directions are are helpful for you. I hope they help you and assist you in growing in private prayer. But at the end of the day, the reality is if we focus on uh, prayer, the focus of our prayer lives is prayer, it's going to be an utter failure. Uh, the focus of prayer should not be prayer. The focus of our hearts in prayer should be Christ. 
You know, in the same way that when you talk with your friends or, or when you talk with your children or your spouse around the dinner table at night, your focus is not on the conversation itself. It's not on having the best conversation you could possibly have with them. The focus is on them. And the conversation that you're having with them is the result of your love for and focus and care for them. Likewise, Jesus did not get away to pray here because he loves prayer so much. He got away to pray here because he loves God, his Father. And so my last piece of direction for us is this, is to look to Christ overall. Look to Christ overall. He is our example here. We're to mimic mimic him here. He is our template, but he's also far more than that. He is our God. He is our temple, as the word template might suggest. But he's, he's far more than just our example here. He's our access to God. He is the place in which heaven and earth overlap. He is the place. He's the person in which deity and humanity meet. And so prayer is really all about being with him. He's our rest. He's our identity. He's our purpose. He's what makes our hearts less busy, even in the midst of busyness. He's what roots us and grounds us, even in the midst of a generation of shallowness and externalism and performance. And so our focus in prayer should be Christ, not prayer. He should be the focus of our hearts. So my encouragement overall is for you to look to him in prayer. Look to him in prayer. Commune with him in prayer. Seek him in prayer. Make prayer about being with him and communing with him. So that's my encouragement to you this morning. Let's go to him now in prayer and then commune with him in the Lord's Supper together. Father, we give you thanks for the example of Jesus here. But even more, we give you thanks for the reality that Jesus is not just our example in prayer, but he is the path to true prayer. That he is the the one in whom we actually have access to you and real communion with you. And we ask that uh, as we seek to devote ourselves to praying in life, that you would encourage our hearts with the reality of who Christ is for us, and that you would equip us and furnish us with the power of the Spirit to follow his example. And we pray that as we uh, approach the Lord's Supper here in a few moments, that you would uh, help us to discern the presence of Christ, and, and to receive the bread and the cup, and to commune with the Lord Jesus by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us, and so that we might be encouraged and strengthened to pursue a life of following his example, following him as our template, trusting in him, treasuring him all the days of our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.